Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Getting ready for the start of uh, spring practice for Georgia coming up here in just about a week's worth of time, and you start really thinking about, okay, what is the 2023 version of the Georgia Bulldogs going to be all about? Eventually, we'll make our transition to the idea of go for three in 23. You know, what are those building block pieces that make go for three in 23 possible? What are you excited about that makes maybe this Georgia team a little bit different than the last two national championship teams for UGA? This is the time of year we sort of think about those kinds of things. And for me, I think a lot of this sort of centers around what George is going to have at the wide receiver position. I think wide receiver right now is a very interesting position for George. And I sort of think this for two reasons. Just at face value, I think George at wide receiver looks really good compared to almost any crop of wide receivers that George has had to start any season under Kirby Smart. You know, you think about, you know, this position for Georgia for whatever reason, wide receiver is probably lagged behind some of the other position groups at UGA in terms of its overall production, the way that it's viewed, what it does to kind of populate the top end of the NFL draft. Wide receivers sort of lag behind a little bit at UGA. Even with the program having great success, a lot of that success hasn't always centered around the wide receiver position but I believe there's a lot of reason to suggest that here in 2023 that might be different uh, this time around and I also think wide receiver could prove to be extra valuable for George in a year like this because having a crop of trusted dependable wide receivers adding to that I think is made even better because you are making a transition to a new starting quarterback. We talked a lot about that yesterday. And this transition also includes a brand new offensive coordinator who's no stranger to the program. Mike Bobo has been OC here before, and he actually worked at Georgia last year, as you're well aware of. But he is still going to be sitting in the big chair this year. The job of getting acclimated to that role probably made easier by the fact that I think right now on paper, Georgia just looks pretty good at wide receiver. I think this was true based on you know kind of what Georgia had last year what it brings back from what it had last year but also if if we were to all kind of kick around hey what are the top newcomers to the Georgia program in many years you're talking about a five-star freshman and things like that and obviously you know there'll be some of those guys that have a chance to emerge for Georgia over the course of the offseason heading towards the fall but really right now the top newcomers for Georgia I believe probably stand to be the two transfer wide receivers Dominic Lovett put up big numbers for Missouri a year ago Ra Ra Thomas who had been the subject of some offseason controversy a few weeks ago but all of that seems to have worked itself out legally uh, that's been taken care of and now you can kind of view Ra Ra Thomas I believe is solely a football player here for Georgia and in doing so you realize already probably little bit more than you're accustomed to bringing back from Georgia for Georgia the wide receiver position the three of the top five pass catchers from a year ago return for this team here in 2023 and you add Ra Ra and Dominic Lovett to it all of a sudden ah, boy that looks pretty good to wide receiver spot and in fact I was kind of thinking about okay so how do you articulate exactly kind of how impressive this has the chance of being and so let's just do this for a moment let's look at the top receivers I'm talking about pass catchers in the SEC a year ago Dominic Love at the transfer was fifth on that list he's on the Georgia team here this year 
Brock Bowers 10th a year ago in the SEC in, uh, you know, uh, receptions for the year, uh, receiving yards for the year. Uh, you know, he's coming back to Georgia here this year. Then you get to Rod Rod Thomas, who was 14th in the SEC a year ago. Uh, he's going to be on the Georgia team this year. Lad McConkie, 17th on this list. He's going to be on the Georgia team this year. So the top 17 receivers in the SEC from last year, four of those are going to play for Georgia this year. Doesn't that sound pretty good? When you say it like that, doesn't that sound like uh, an offense that you could really do something with? Now, some people are going to say, well, yeah, we'll be able, you know, a couple of those guys were doing this for Todd Munkin a year ago, and that kind of puts, you know, pressure on Mike Bubba to get the same level of production out of them. And in some respects, maybe it does, and that's that's fine. You'll certainly hold Mike Bobo to that standard. Anybody who coaches at George is going to have a high standard to live up to. Mike Bobo's no different. But I think we can assume that after a couple of years' worth of seeing what you've seen from Ladd McConkey, and obviously a couple of years' worth of seeing what you've seen from Brock Bowers, they are trusted, dependable resources. And now you got Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Love to kind of go along with them there. And I don't know. I think that can be pretty fun. And I guess to sort of extend this out a little bit more is that to me, it's not just this returning production, both the re- production earned at other spots in the SEC, in the case of Ra Ron Dominic. And, and you, you know, it's not just the returning production here that matters to me. I think you sort of saw a little bit of a personality evolution for the Georgia wide receivers at the end of last season. I think it's a big reason that George was able to win the national championship, you know, against a great wide receiver program like Ohio State. Let's face it, that's probably the best wide receiver program. They always seem to, you know, Brian Hartline's been a great coach there. They kind of transition from, hey, this, you know, this guy's the best wide receiver in the country. Then he gets hurt. Now this new guy's the best wide receiver in the country. And they're taking the place of guys from a year ago that moved on the NFL. And they were the best wide receivers in the country. I mean, clearly Ohio State's had this great ability to produce these great wide receivers. And yet when Georgia went to that game against the Buckeyes in the Peach Bowl, I think there was this thought within the Georgia building, within the Georgia program of our wide receivers have to step up much the same way. Our guys have to be able to give a Marvin Harrison Jr. level performance if we're going to be able to to, to actually win this game, emerge victorious, and go on to win the national championship. In fact, we're led to believe that prior to that game, Georgia wide receivers coach Brian McClendon, who's also one of those guys who had been at UGA, uh, former you know Georgia player, now back the program, that McClendon had stepped up and challenged the Georgia wide receivers part of that game against Ohio State to be as good as the guys on the other side. Now, in Los Angeles for the national championship, I had a chance to ask McClendon about that. Hey, did you give the great – in fact, if you're watching a video, you see a little bit of uh, footage of that conversation. Um, I asked McClendon, hey, you know, did you give the speech? What was that like? How did you challenge those guys part of that game? Now, uh, Brian's kind of a humble guy, so he didn't want to give himself credit, but he did talk about the attitude, the mindset that existed for those Georgia wide receivers prior to playing a great wide receiver program like Ohio State last December. This is what uh, McClendon said about that. Really, Coach did a great job of – of having everybody kind of going and putting everybody on the same page. And, and uh, me talking was really just one of the pieces. It really was really just one of the pieces. I think uh, a lot of credit goes needs to go to these guys uh, and the hard work that they've done and, the hard, and, uh, and all the stuff that they put themselves through to get to this moment. Um, I mean, you feel really, really proud for these guys that just put themselves in this situation. So in this conversation that we're having right now of – hey, it could be really a breakout year for the uh, Georgia wide receivers. I guess the other thing that sort of leads me to is, is that Brian McClendon as the wide receivers coach could be one of the reasons why. I think McClendon 
is a very, very interesting member of this Georgia coaching staff. Having a chance to talk to him in Los Angeles, I played the full interview for you before. Uh, you can go back and find it you know, on the uh, YouTube page if you want, but I've also played that full interview for you before. I just think McClendon's got that really special kind of – I mean, Kirby Smart said prior to last year this was the best coaching staff they'd assembled at Georgia. When you listen to a guy like McClendon talk, you certainly understand why – Kirby might feel that way because McClendon's another one example of these guys that just sort of seems to understand what the stakes are at Georgia and seems to really enjoy the success that UJ's having. He's a you know Georgia grad in his own right. This is his program, and he seems really proud to be able to contribute to that success. And if you're talking about getting more out of the Georgia wide receivers than you've ever got in the past, having higher expectations for that position group right now than you've ever had in the past, I think the influence of a coach like Brian McClendon is really kind of one of the reasons why because you know while McClendon didn't want to give himself full credit for the speech part of the game challenging those guys to step up the results sort of spoke for themselves the Georgia wide receivers did go out they had a massive performance against the Buckeyes there that day it is probably you know along with the performance of Stetson and maybe a couple of other things uh the reason that Georgia won the game and uh once again from that conversation in Los Angeles uh McClendon was more than happy to give his guys credit for stepping up when they really needed to once again this is good stuff from Brian McClendon yeah I think uh the guys that, that came out there and did a good job um I mean we we, we know man that, that we're responsible for way more than just catching the football uh we're responsible for making sure man that 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 we do our job and we feel like if we do our job in general, whether it's catching or not, uh, then that'll greatly impact the game. And I feel like, man, we do. We, we those guys have done a good job of embracing that and understanding that, and, and wanting to be one of the pieces on why we go out there and play well. One of the pieces of why we go out there and play well. I don't know how often in the past you've said, "Hey, the Georgia wide receiver is one of the big reasons that Georgia won this game." But against Ohio State at the end of last season, I think you would have said that. Arrogant Smith has the big breakaway play. Remember the Kiaris Jackson catch that set up the game-winning drive there at the end? A.D. Mitchell has a couple nice moments for you. Marcus Roseman Jackson has a couple nice moments for you. Obviously, uh, you know, you know, Brock Bowers talked about before, kind of a tight end, but nonetheless, kind of doing what he does. The point is, Georgia catching the football very well that day, and I think it sets us up for what's going to happen here for Georgia this year and the preview of that we get starting here this spring. This is probably the most exciting collection of wide receivers I think that Kirby Smart's ever brought back to start a year. Some of that are guys like Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Ladd McConkey run last year's team. Some of that is a guy like Brock Bowers, who's really a tight end, but sort of functions like a wide receiver. Some of that's also two very big transfer additions like Dominic Lovett, uh, one of the top pass catchers in the entire conference a year ago, and Ra Ra Thomas in his own right, the leading receiver there for a Mike Leach offense in uh, Mississippi State. This is a really fun crop of players. They are led by, I think, a very valuable part of the Georgia coaching staff and Brian McClendon. We have not always talked about wide receiver at the forefront of the conversation about UGA football, but this year, that might feel a little bit different. This year, it might be a little bit more top of mind for us here as the wide receivers take center stage in a way they rarely have uh, for the dogs. But the brand new quarterback and a brand new offensive coordinator, this collection of wide receiver talent, it could be coming at a very good time. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945 first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, uh, across all the video platforms. 
uh, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Twitch. We're also available on the radio at noon each and every day on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref as a podcast as well, wherever you find them. Uh, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Uh, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. We're just really, really happy to have you as a part of our program. We try to make it as available to you as we can, and we're happy to be able to do that for you here today. All right, so big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management. We'll make it all possible for you there as well. You've heard me tell you about Breda Pest Management before. They are the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That's a really, really important thing because the strength, the resource trusted by Georgia can be trusted by you too that means you can get the same level of protection for your home as the dogs get for sanford stadium and all the other athletic venues protecting it from termites and bugs and critters and everything else and let me tell you why that matters for you there as well because a company like breda which has been in business since 1975 got 125 employees all over our market area taking care of folks with their pest control and their termite protection needs that level of strength can be leveraged by to, to save you money when you make the switch to Breda Pass Manager. You may be working with a company that's raising your rate each and every year. That's obviously pretty annoying. Well, end that annoyance. Make the switch to Breda Pass Manager and put more money back in your pocket just for making that decision. In fact, find out more about this yourself by checking out BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. And you can find out more about that. Great to have Breda Pass Management as a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. All right, we're going to have Mike Griffith coming up as a part of Dog Nation Daily here in a couple of moments. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And I want to talk a little bit about something that Mel Kuyper recently said. You know, Kuyper had his uh, recent list of, hey, top, uh, whatever he calls them, breakout performers at the NFL Scouting Combine, whatever else. And on a small list of names, two of those guys for Kuyper were former dogs one of those was Stetson Bennett by now you know uh, a lot of what Bennett was able to do and it's nice to see Bennett validate the on-field career he had at UGA with a nice scouting combine performance there as well and he's not gonna be taking first round or anything like that but Bennett is solidly now proving himself to be an NFL draft pick if it was a late round pick before it seems like he might be a little more of a mid-round pick right now and a guy who I think Kuyper awarded this way has a chance to have a long NFL career. This is a very nice, happy ending for Guy and Bennett, who's been doubted at every turn. When you when you see how much Bennett has continued to prove in the face of the criticism that he's gotten, sometimes maybe even understand why at times he's a little edgy about some of this kind of stuff, because how could you not get frustrated after a while when all you do is perform well in the face of people assuming you're not going to be able to? And the scouting combine was another chance for sets minute to prove exactly that and i believe that's exactly what he did but it's another guy that kuiper mentioned from george that i actually want to spend some time talking about here because another one of uh kuiper's breakout performers or whatever his phrasing was kind of top names to mention the guys that, that kuiper himself specifically wanted to highlight one of those was former Georgia outside linebacker Nolan Smith. Now, we talk, We spent a lot of time last week talking about Nolan here on this show because Nolan had such a great press conference prior to his uh, workout. His workout was fantastic, and I do believe that Nolan Smith definitely demonstrated that he should be one of the first 32 players taken. In fact, he may even be working his way up the first round ladder here right now uh but nonetheless really really demonstrated a lot and mel kuyper had a lot of praise for for nolan smith because of that however there's another phrase that kuyper kind of used in evaluating nolan that i do think 
is, is worth us talking about here for a moment. And it's really more about George than it is Nolan Smith, but the things that Kuiper said about Nolan become a little bit of a springboard for some of this. Let me show you a couple of these sentences if you're watching on video, and obviously you're listening to radio podcast. I'll just read it to you. Kuiper saying of Nolan Smith that NFL teams covet edge rushers. It's one of the positions they'll reach for the most. In other words, they'll take a flyer and take a little bit of a risk on on the edge rush position because that's how valuable sacking quarterbacks are in the eyes of the NFL decision men. He says Smith has all the physical tools teams want in an outside linebacker, but he had just six and a half sacks over the past two seasons and too often got swallowed up by offensive tackles. He has to develop more pass rush moves. Now, I think that's a pretty fair evaluation of Nolan Smith. Nolan was a great player at Georgia that greatness did not always get measured by the total number of sacks that he got. Obviously, in the NFL, they are drafting him to, to do the things he did for Georgia, but they also want more of that sack production for him there, too. And we kind of know the challenge that Nolan dealt with. Nolan himself has been pretty honest about this, is that you know he's been uh, – you know, he's been critiqued because of his size, questioned because of his size. He's sort of always dealt with that as an edge rusher. But I kind of want to pull this out and make this be about Georgia just a little bit more. You know, one of the things I have to acknowledge is, is that Georgia won the national championship last year getting far fewer sacks than I ever would have imagined they would have been able to if they wanted to be able to win the national championship. Now, the caveat to that is, is that while Georgia on a sort of yearly basis wasn't necessarily dominant at rushing the quarterback when it really needed to against Tennessee that's exactly what it did even we mentioned the Ohio State game a little earlier that's kind of a wild game kind of play with you know nearly 90 total points and yet Georgia still had I think four sacks there in that game getting after quarterback when they really needed to against C.J. Stroud also a big part of why they won that game there as well that when Georgia was to any degree challenged you know they stepped up they got after Hendon Hooker they got after C.J. Stroud they kind of got after quarterback when they needed to but I do believe that uh, Mel Kuyper gives you a little bit of a template for how the Georgia defense in 2023 might be different than it was in 2022. I do believe in the wake of some of what's being said about Nolan there that Georgia's trying to get a little bit bigger at the edge rush spot. You know, you look at a guy like Darius Smith Jr., who I think is going to have a chance to step up here for Georgia this year. That's an example of what might be the new wave kind of pass rusher to place like Georgia he's got the athleticism but he's also got the long frame and that might make it a little easier to shed some of these offensive tackles and get towards the quarterback no one disputes that Georgia has gotten an incredibly valuable career from uh, Nolan Smith but you like the idea of in the future your your five stars you kind of come through this the way that Nolan did whether it be a Damon Wilson or eventually a Samuel Mpemba or someone like that they're able to kind of match the kind of sack total that should go around should I should say go along with be connected to someone who has the obvious talent level of uh, a guy like Nolan Smith now I have had a chance to talk to Kirby Smart about this directly you want to go back to last summer I was at one of those press conferences and speaking about the fact that in 2021 Georgia had darn near 50 sacks uh, how much of that did did Georgia need to replicate in 2022 and you know Kirby was saying at the time that when it comes to like sort of benchmark numbers and things like that that wasn't something they obsessed over as much as maybe a, a guy like me in the media does. This is what Kirby said about that at the time. There's not internally a goal. We don't put a sack goal. We put an effect the quarterback goal. And we all know that's not fun for you guys because you want to talk sack totals. We want to talk batted balls, interceptions, knockdown, hurries. You know, you affect the quarterback with multiple rushes. And, uh, you know, Robert Beal is having a quietly good camp, which is good for us. Um, a lot of times these scrimmages get skewed. Now, last year was a outlier. 
because of the front and the people we had. But these scrimmages get skewed because you take so many snaps. Pass rushing is an effort play, and a lot of sacks are what we call hustle sacks, effort sacks. You don't necessarily win. You give a great second effort. Well, there comes a point in the scrimmage today where they take so many snaps, nobody's fresh. You know, and the offensive lineman stays in front of them. Uh, we didn't have – it reminded me of our old scrimmages where we didn't have great pass rush. Not because we don't have pass rushers. We just didn't have uh, the juice that we needed. And um, I can't say that it was like that last year, but it's been like that in years past. So obviously Smart saying that around one of those summer scrimmages that he had seen. He was offering some evaluation of what he had seen in that press conference day. Or he used an interesting word. He says, hey, in 2021 – our front was kind of an outlier because those guys could just come after you over and over and over again. And yet in 2023, I sort of get the impression that the Georgia defense, I'm not going to say it's going to be as good as 2021. That's a, that's a big statement to make when you haven't even seen, you know, the first spring practice as of yet. But in terms of the tone with the way that which it plays, I think it could resemble 2021 a little bit more than it might resemble uh, 2022. Georgia last year, when it really needed to, to use Smart's phrase, affect the quarterback, that's exactly what it did. But this year in 2023, you may see a defense that kind of brings back that relentless week-to-week pass rush the way that was a little more common back in 2021. That Georgia had a great player in Nolan Smith, but the next generation of kind of edge rusher outside linebacker UGA might be a little bigger, might be a little bit more of a formidable challenge for the offensive tackles asked to block it. And a Georgia team that knocked in the door of 50 sacks in 2021, along its way to its first national championship, may have a number somewhat similar to that, maybe, uh, in 2023 as it goes for number three. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out then. But fun to think about as Georgia makes a transition uh, for a, looking for a third straight national championship here this year. That is around the doghouse. And before I bring on Mike Griffith, uh, I want to, speaking of offensive tackles, I want to tell you about a really fun thing we have going on with Dog Nation that you have a chance to get involved with here right now. I introduced this to you yesterday. Your chance to get involved with this right now. We're talking that we're calling this our Marlowe's Tavern uh, Insider VIP Lunch. Uh, the great former Georgia offensive tackle John Stinchcomb, which, by the way, uh, Mike Griffith had a thing at DogNation.com the other day looking at previous Georgia players throughout history and their performance in the NFL scouting combine. Really nice numbers for John Stinchcomb in that. So we may have to talk to John about that next week when we see John here live on Dog Nation Daily. Or maybe you get a chance to talk to John about that in person if you're one of the winners for our VIP Insider Lunch. If you go to DogNation.com, you see all the details about this. It's going to be Tuesday, March 21st, right there at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. That's 1317 Dunwoody Village Parkway. Uh, Going to be at noon there for that. Uh, We're going to have four winners who each get to bring a guest for this exclusive VIP launch. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you go to dognation.com, you can learn more details. Uh, you've got until March 14th to register for your chance to win. We're going to notify the winners on March 15th. So get a little bit more time here, but the time to act on all of this is right now. So I hope you'll get involved and be a part of your chance to win a VIP Insider Lunch there at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody with myself and the true Dog Nation Insider, John Stinchcomb. going to be a lot of fun. Go to dognation.com for more details on that. All right, before we're done today, uh, a former dog has found a new home. Uh, we'll tell you about that. Nick Saban is seemingly whining again. We'll talk about that there as well. And maybe some bad news for the Florida Gators. Uh, that never gets old. We'll do that too. It's all on the way. But for now, spring practice starting, NFL combine over, uh, everything else going on around UGA football. Let's talk to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to uh, Mike Griffith. Mike was obviously in Indianapolis, the NFL scouting combine last week. So I'm curious to sort of hear uh, what Mike saw behind the scenes on all of that. So, Mike, why don't we start right there? Uh, a lot of us kind of followed some of this on television or through social media. It certainly seemed like it was a very gr- uh, a good week for a lot of former dogs. What was your sense of having been there? What did you observe uh, there on the scene, Lucas Oil Stadium, a venue that's been good to George in the past? Well, first of all, like you said, Brandon, there was a lot of good news. I mean, to have 12 Georgia guys there – and the way they performed, I mean, Nolan Smith being a workout wonder and Darnell Washington and Broderick Jones, I mean, these are all guys that I believe, uh, you know, cemented first-round status. Uh, of course, there were some off-the-field headlines with the Jalen Carter uh, warrant and arrest. And, you know, a lot of national media, it's almost like it's not news that Georgia has good football players. It's not news that they perform well. People expect that from Georgia. They were talking a lot about Jalen Carter and the football culture. That's what the national media was talking about. I think the Georgia folks that are local that have been around the program and Kirby Smart, there's a familiarity there, and they're not as quick to push the panic button. But the outside nation, they're looking at it from 10,000 feet. They had questions, and that's why Kirby did the interview uh, with ESPN. Now, surface value, I I thought, again, most everyone did well. Uh, Kenny and Chris Smith both ran those four sixes, not ideal numbers. But remember, there's a lot of film and a lot of hay in the barn. And, you know, we don't want to become prisoners of the moment. It's not like pro, uh, programs or teams are going to suddenly just do a 180 on their evaluation. They may, may move a guy up a little bit or say this player is better than that player at the position. But the truth is, Brandon, and I thought about this yesterday when I was doing the story on Jamari Salyer. Remember how he slipped to the sixth round last year? And we were like, what in the world is going on? The Jamari Salyer is going in the sixth, the medical. So what we don't know is what can hurt us, okay? Stetson Bennett looked fine on the field. Hey, we scored six touchdowns against TCU. I wasn't surprised. What really matters to Stetson Bennett is going to be the type of attitude that he had with the GMs and the coaches behind the scenes. You know, Karis Jackson ran some good numbers. Uh, Nolan Smith was great. What really matters is what happened with the team doctors and the MIR, MRI machine behind the scenes. So there's much more going on at the Combine than meets the eye. But what met the eye, for the most part, was very good. If I were to ask you, how many first-round picks do you believe that Georgia has? Because I believe now, post-combine, I'm forced to conclude they'll probably have more first-round picks than I initially thought they would have. I remember having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I guess I took a pretty conservative stance on how many guys for Georgia I was quite confident would go in the first round. I believe my number has now gone up, so I'll give you a chance to answer this too. How many first-rounders do you believe that Georgia has? Did you do a seven and three centel before, Brandon? Is that what you're telling me? Are you a seven and three centel in the draft? I'm going to say, I'm going to say four. I'm going to say four because I think, I, I, first of all, I don't think Jalen Carter is going to fall before, below five, and, and I'd be shocked if he went below ten. For all the hullabaloo and and headlines and noise, 
you sit there and let that guy get by. If he ain't in jail or if he's not facing felony charges, you're going to take a pass on him because he did something stupid at street race? I don't think so. So Carter's a lock, and for the lock for the first half, I think Broderick Jones is a lock. I think Nolan Smith will go first round, provided that MRI machine didn't give didn't give anybody bad vibes. As long as the medical was good, I I think Darnell Washington is a first rounder. So I think you got three solid guys, and then I think either Nolan or Keeley goes in the first round. So I'm going to say four with the upside of five, minimum three. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I am, too. At one point in time, I thought they might only have three, and now I believe there's a very strong chance they have at least one more than that, if not all five of these guys who've been kind of kicked around going in the first round. And on the subject of Jalen Carter for a moment, and listen, I realize there's an issue here that's far more serious than football, but we're a football show, so that's what I'm going to talk about here for a moment. Um, You know, I think the issue for Jalen becomes – the the run on quarterback here where you know the only thing it takes for Jalen to kind of fall in the draft a little bit is for teams to decide they like Will Anderson Jr. which is a possibility anyway Anderson Jr. could be taken ahead of no uh, of Jalen Carter you know even still I mean Will's obviously a big time prospect here so if teams decide they like Anderson more than Carter which would have been a possibility anyway and if there's this huge run on quarterbacks at the front of the NFL draft because of a Chicago trade or something like that, then that's really all it takes for, for Carter to kind of slide a little bit more. I agree with you. I don't believe he'll be taken outside the top ten. Could he fall outside the top five? I think that's a possibility for the two reasons I just mentioned. Fair, fair point. You know, Anthony Richardson now is a curiosity. I know I, I said that teams didn't read too much into the underwear Olympics, but but he was no less than stunning. I mean, the guy did a a 41-and-a-half-inch vertical and a 4-4-3. He threw the ball well. He's got a lot of ceiling. And, and I know it's confusing for some. They say, well, didn't Stetson Bennett beat this guy? Well, he did. But a 25-year-old Stetson Bennett versus a 20-year-old uh, Anthony Richardson, teams draft largely on potential. Brandon, listen to this. One time I heard this. I heard that it actually works against, and you can take it for what it's worth, I don't know that I to this, and recent drafts wouldn't suggest it, but I actually had an NFL guy tell me that it kind of works against a kid coming out of Alabama and Georgia in the sense that they see how these kids' ceiling is, right, because they're getting coached up by Saban and Kirby. So what you see at Georgia and Alabama from this guy is probably pretty darn close to the ceiling, whereas every now and then you'll see a kid maybe from another school who possesses great athletic traits. And you think to yourself, you know what, there's more there. So that's, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. The reason I'm using that, that uh, analogy is because I think with Anthony Richardson, my thought is I see Steve McNair. And I don't know how many people are that old to remember, but when Steve McNair came out of Alcorn State, he was very accomplished and he was older, but he hadn't played in an NFL-style system, and he wasn't quite ready for prime time when he first got to the NFL. Now, after some seasoning and some coaching, Steve McNair had Hall of Fame ability. I think the same could be true of Anthony Richardson. And I'll, I'll tell you one more quick story, and I know it's not your favorite person. Uh, I hope, I hope you, uh, your, your, your stomach is settled for breakfast. <laughs> but, but when I was talking to Steve Spurrier last week, um, I recalled a conversation that he and I had the year before about Anthony Richardson. And he told me 
what he told him. He told Richardson, you have more gifts, physical gifts, than any quarterback I've ever been around in my entire life. But you've got a lot to work on, son. That's what Spurrier told him. So the gifts are there. Will it translate? I don't know. And here's the other question. Do you want to use a first-round draft pick on a guy that may not be ready to play next season? No. So he's, yeah, he's, it's a curiosity to me. I'll be interested to see where Anthony Richardson goes. Will Levis as well. Scouts love him. Uh, you look at his interceptions last year, B.A., they did a breakdown film. I mean, it looked like, you know, Jake Fromm 2019 with the receivers on the merry-go-round that Kirby talked about. Guys running the wrong routes, balls getting batted. I mean, what can this poor guy do? Um, they love his measurables. He didn't run the 40, but believe it or not, he jumped higher than Stetson and longer. He was more explosive than Stetson in a bigger package. So athletically, he looks good. And then I think everybody would agree that Stroud and Bryce Young, to your point, both of these guys are going to go in the top three, top four, and does that trigger the run on quarterbacks? So that's kind of my view on the quarterbacks from, from 5,000 feet. I got stuff I want to talk to you about, but I, let me just say this real quick, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because, like I said before, there are a couple of things I want to hit with you. My, my philosophy here is, and it's been wrong before, but it's my prevailing philosophy. I'm not taking a guy that wasn't good in college. And Anthony Richardson just wasn't good in college. I know what he looks like. I know what he does in an event like the Combine. But he wasn't good. And, you know, Dan Mullen didn't even trust him to be the starter, which tells me something. Will Levis kind of the same way. Now, you can say what you want to about the Kentucky offense this year. Mike, I didn't think he was that great in a, in a uh, Liam Cohen offense in 2021 that had, you know, a, a lot more wide receiver talent. I just didn't think he was that great. He wasn't very accurate then either. This is also a guy that failed to win the starting job multiple times at Penn State. Um, I don't think Will Levis is very good. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that Anthony Richardson is very good. You know, having to take one of those guys in the first round or take a guy like Stetson Bennett in the mid-round situation, uh, I'd feel much better about a mid-round pick on Stetson Bennett than I would a first-round pick on a guy like Levis or Richardson. There are other quarterbacks in this draft I really like. Take Bryce Young, for instance. Uh, I think a team that drafts a Levis or a Richardson over a guy like Bryce Young, who proved it in college, I think you're just making a huge, huge mistake. Now, I would have said the same thing about Josh Allen. I turned out to be wrong. But outliers do not prevailing wisdom make. And in this particular case, I think the prevailing wisdom should work against guys like Levis and Richardson. I can't make that more clear. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And a lot of people felt that way about Patrick Mahomes because who was he in college? But, you know, it's always different. And, and everybody has a perspective that, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, Brandon. I mean, my fear for, for Bryce Young, if he goes to the Texans, uh, you know, I don't care how much, uh, how many Wheaties he ate to get up to 205, that little guy's going to get killed uh, behind that. I don't know who could go in. I don't think anybody could go into Houston and win. And we've seen really talented quarterbacks get ruined before by going to really poor teams. And, and you know, I, I said this yesterday. I said, you know, I think Bryce Young's better than Dak Prescott. But I don't think the Cowboys are going to fire Dak Prescott. That job's not open. So he's going to go to one of these uh, poor teams without much protection and probably not have a very good rookie year. So it can work for you to go early, get a lot of money, but it can also work against you because in the long run, you know, maybe that second contract's not as good or maybe you're exposed to more hits. And I don't think C.J. Stroud can handle it. I know he showed up and played really well against Georgia, but there were a lot of other opportunities for C.J. this year, I thought, uh, particularly the Michigan game where his mobility could have made a difference and it didn't. So I think he's showing up a little too late in the game for me. Um, I, I think Bryce is probably too small for Houston. I think they ought to sit back and, and let the 
lot of money uh, up there in the, in the NFL. They're going to make these decisions. It sure is fun to talk about, though. Uh, let me transition here. Georgia spring practice begins next week. What stands out to you, things you're most interested in as the dogs show up to work next week? Well, there's a lot. I mean, the quarterback battle, obviously, uh, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, the offensive line, I wrote about Ernest Green today, Brandon. And, yeah. you know, could Georgia really be starting a left tackle that hasn't ever played in a game? I mean, that, that it seems like such a stretch. You know, the last few years, there's been such natural progressions into the next guy. This time, there's not. Um, and I think a lot of Ernest Green, to be clear. I, I, I sat down with him in California uh, when I was out there a couple years ago on, on a Dog Nation uh, football trip. And I'm so impressed with this kid. But still, uh, I'll say this. The good news is the schedule is very forgiving for Georgia. Very forgiving schedule. A lot of runway to get up to speed. So much runway that I don't even, I'm not even convinced that they'll be settled on a starting quarterback even after the season starts. You could see that quarterback battle uh, go in two or three games into the season. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that. I mean, I think you got the luxury to do that because of the schedule. Plus, we've seen, I think, teams do that before. And your point about Ernest Green is one that we also talked a little bit about yesterday there as well because he was praised by guys like Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon at the NFL Scouting Combine. And, Mike, what I said about that yesterday, and I'm thinking you'll probably agree with me on this, is is that when you hear the same compliment from two different guys, I think you're forced to take that seriously because, listen – the Georgia players the Combine are not going to trash their former teammates still at Georgia, right? They're going to sort of say nice things no matter what. But when it's the same compliment, it's that specific praise, but the sort of specific thing, you take that seriously. And you're right. You know, Green hasn't played. He's been injured. But he did show up last year apparently pretty polished because of his background, because of things like that. He showed up with a little seasoning to him to begin his college career. And I take some comfort in that because I do think that – in all likelihood, he's going to be asked to be in a big role this year. Uh, uh, Marius Mims has certainly played, but he's going to be a full-season starter for the first time. Opposite him, I'm assuming it's going to be Ernest Green. Listen, most teams would obviously love to have the talent, even if it doesn't come with the experience. But as Georgia potentially kind of works him into this role, the fact that guys like Broderick and guys like Warren sort of thought he had a little bit of seasoning to his game when he showed up fresh out of high school, I at least take some comfort out of that. You know, with his dad being a former NFL player and, you know, the level of ball that he played out there in the Trinity League at uh, St. John Bosco, which is just an amazing football factory. Um, I I think Georgia should feel good about it. I I think that, again, internally, and and I don't want to bang this drum too much, but I do think it's important. You know, unfortunately, one of the off-field incidents was uh, the race incidents was Jamon Dumas Johnson. and, And, Brandon, I really think he's the heart and soul of this team. I really do. I think Cedric Van Pran on offense, I think it's so big that he came back in kind of a Jordan Davis way, not just with how good Cedric is, but the type of leader that he is. But defensively, I just don't think there's any question that Jamon Dumas Johnson is absolutely the engine of this team, and how he responds to his off-field adversity is going to be very important because Georgia needs him to respond the right way. We're talking about a guy who has college football Hall of Fame potential. We're talking about a guy who will start in the NFL. We're talking about a guy that Roman Harper said, thought, and you were right there when he said it, said this guy's better than N'Kobe Dean. I mean, that's how powerful Jamon Dumas Johnson is. And all this off-field stuff, that's trans- the transgressions, has to be cleared out 
and your leaders need to emerge and lead the Georgia way. This is not a program uh, that, that needs to run side-by-side side with Urban Myers because five captains have been arrested in the last 16 months. That trend has to stop, and it has to stop with the most important and the biggest figure on the team, and that is Jamon Dumas-Johnson. So that's a guy that I can't wait to interview, to watch respond to adversity. This is Kirby, This is a Kirby Smart special. Kirby's all about getting his guys to respond to adversity. Well, that applies off the field, too. So I think we're going to see a different JDJ. I think this team is going to take on a different direction. I believe in Kirby Smart and his leadership techniques, and I think we'll see how that applied this spring. Let me squeeze in one more thing on a completely different topic before we let you go here. Uh, there was some reporting over the last few days. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated is going to lead the way on this, that uh, Georgia's third permanent opponent in the presumed nine-game conference schedule might not be who we thought it was going to be. Uh, obviously, everybody knows in a sort of sort of three-game world, if you're playing the same three teams every year, uh, Florida and Auburn are certainly likely to be Georgia's two permanent rivals. The third team there, those got in some debate. Uh, I think a lot of us assumed it would be South Carolina, but according to Ross Dellinger, it might actually end up being Kentucky for you know all kinds yeah. of unspecified reasons. What do you think of Georgia potentially getting that third team that's maybe not what some of us expected that it would be? Well, I kind of buried the lead in my story on it the other day when you know I talked to the Georgia players at the Combine, and it was kind of funny, uh, unexpected to see who the three teams were that they wanted. Uh, only, only one of them. There's only three guys. Just to be clear, they're all Georgia high school guys, though. Broderick Jones, uh, Chris Smith, and uh, gosh, who was the other one? What was the other Georgia guy I talked to there that weighed in on this? I can slip in my mind right now. They all agreed on Auburn. Uh, Broderick wanted Missouri in there. Oh, the other one was Kiaris. Kiaris wanted Alabama. Hmm. Kiaris wanted Alabama. He was the one that picked Florida. He wanted Alabama, Florida, and Auburn because he said they want to play the best. And, and that was their trend. Now, the, what I buried was I know I have a South Carolina source that told me that South Carolina doesn't want to play George every year. Mm. That's why. The, part of what's going on is everybody kind of submits their requests for the league. I remember talking to Greg McGarity about this one time a couple years ago about how this scheduling works. And everybody kind of shares what they, you know, their wish list to the league, and then the league has to kind of decipher it. South Carolina doesn't want to play George every year. That's why you're seeing Kentucky. It's unfortunate because I think Kentucky is the pits. I think it's a terrible road trip. I think it's a terrible opponent because they're good enough to be tough and you should get some respect for beating them, but nobody gives them that respect and nobody wants to go to Lexington in November or I guess for anything but, but horse races sure. or basketball. It's just not, you know, it's just, it's just not. Yeah, a trip to Lexington in October is very different than a trip in uh, in November. I think there are a lot of people who like the October trip <laughs> when the Keeneland thing's still running. Uh, when it gets to be cold in November, that's when people don't want to go to Lexington. <laughs> Nobody wants to go to Lexington. So, I, but that's why, Brandon, South Carolina does not want to play Georgia. And so they'll get their wish list. Now, part of what's going on here, and you mentioned Nick Saban, and I do understand why you know, he would look at it and say, wait a minute, we're getting LSU, we're getting Auburn, we're getting Tennessee, that's a pretty good. Here's the deal. They're getting LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn because guess who pays the bills? They want to see Alabama play those teams. That's what ESPN wants to put on TV. There's a price that comes with greatness. And part of it for Nick Saban, as he's counting his money and looking at his bank account, is his responsibility to the league. And Alabama uh, does make the SEC more valuable 
just as Georgia does. So you better believe, Brandon, and, and, and I don't, you know, Greg Sankey's a guy I've got a ton of respect for, but you better believe that those television executives, you know, have their hand in the cookie jar here, and they will wield some influence, I believe. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here. We'll look forward to talking to you very, very soon. Of course, spring practice next week. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by uh, Breda Pass Management. Thanks, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. A little behind the scenes inside baseball here for a moment. Um, You know, we try our best to operate this as if it's a real show. Uh, Some days maybe we succeed, some days maybe we don't, but we try our best to kind of, you know – comport ourselves with a certain degree of professionalism which means we don't like to have a lot of errant sounds around here you know yesterday i did not properly uh, edit an audio clip and so you had a little bit of the next question when it's only supposed to be just the one self-contained clip that's an error you know every now and then you make one but we try not to have a lot of like random noise uh, showing up on the show which means when we say goodbye to a guest we do take these guests via phone uh, oftentimes sometimes we'll do it uh, via zoom but a lot of our guests ha- happen via phone and we like to sort of end the phone call without, like, the dial tone, for instance. And with most of our guests, uh, that's, for whatever reason, just very easy to do. Uh, our producer, Michael Carvel, always remarks about the fact that there is no one capable of hanging up a phone quicker than Mike Griffiths. Because Michael's got his finger on the button. This is like one of those sort of Wild West, like, you know, uh, gunslinger showdowns where, you know, Michael's trying to hang up on Mike Griffith before uh, Mike can hang up on us. But I don't believe every any week it's ever happened. You always get that little bit of boop, the little dial tone there at the end because I mean Mike, he's just so ready to get off the phone. I guess he's you know clicking that thing and he's gone. So uh, funny stuff nonetheless. Uh, let me transition. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Nobody hanging up on Royal Caribbean. Everybody looking forward to a great time, including us this upcoming April. That's actually. I feel like I've been saying, ah, oh, April, you know, 2023 for such a long time. Y'all, that's like a month away. I mean, it's here. It is here. It is going down. And we are going to be a part of it. And man, oh, man. <laughs> Some of y'all are going to roll your eyes when I say this, but I know I just got back from vacation. I sort of feel like I could use a vacation again. Do you ever have that thing where, like, you go on vacation, it's a great time, you're thankful for it, then you come back, and then, like, two weeks later, like, boy, I need another vacation. But thankfully, I get one. Uh, although this is going to be hanging out with all of you on board Independence of the Sea. So I'll be working to make sure that all of you have a good time. Nonetheless, it's going to be great. Jessica Slater, the one that's helped us out with all this great travel age. You can call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Also, royaldogs.com website. She's put together to get you ready for all this. At, at this point in time, it may be a little late to get on board the Dog Nation cruise, but you can learn all about the great stuff that Royal Caribbean has going on a regular basis, including Wonder of the Seas, which I was just on. Or, you know, you can kind of decide for yourself, you know, what's better for you? I just took a seven-night cruise on board one of the seas. Our Dog Nation cruise is going to be a four-night cruise. You know, I am lucky enough later on this June we're going to take a three-night cruise. So if you want the three-night cruise that kind of just takes place over the weekend or you want the four-night cruise that, hey, maybe does it full – because, listen, at this time of year you got baseball and all these kinds of things going on. You've got these uh, obligations that maybe make it hard to get away for a full week. Well, Royal Caribbean can kind of accommodate you on some of those shorter sailings. And – uh, a, a lot of those shorter sailings going out of Port Canaveral, where where I like to sail out of, you're talking about a you know a Independence of the Seas or a Mariner of the Seas. These are very very large, very uh, cool ships that have a lot of amenities and a lot of a fun a lot of fun things to enjoy on board. So just a great time to explore all the great stuff going on with our friends at Royal Caribbean. All right, with that said, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. 
There is news today involving a former dog as Jaheim Singletary, former five-star cornerback signee for the class of uh, 2022 with Georgia. Uh, Singletary on his way now to Alabama. Now, here's what I think is interesting about Jaheim at Georgia. This is one of those guys that, listen, he may go on to be the next Deion Sanders, right? I mean, he may just be great. You did not hear a ton about him during his one year at Georgia. And I'm not, you know, speaking ill of him on his way out the door, but it's one of those things that seems like a guy like Dalen Everett probably just earned a little bit more buzz, a little bit more curiosity during his first year than a guy like Singletary did. So maybe the change of scenery at a place like Arkansas will serve Jaheim pretty well here. You know, you always called uh, Jaheim's nickname was Slim Singletary, which is kind of a cool name. Uh, but I do believe that smaller frame probably did not do him any favors at a place like Georgia at a place like Arkansas. We'll, we'll see how that works out for him. I think it's a good addition for Arkansas. I think one of the stories in the SEC here, and now you've all, you all maybe heard me say this before, I'm a Sam Pittman homer. I openly root for Arkansas to win games because I just like Sam Pittman. I do think this is a very tricky year for Arkansas this year. You've got two brand new coordinators, and I'm not sure that either guy is necessarily a change for the better. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Kendall Bryles out, Dan Enos in on the offensive side of the ball for Arkansas is probably a net negative. On the defensive side of the ball, though, Travis Williams, the new defensive coordinator there, you know Travis, guys uh, been in Auburn, places like that. Um, he steps in in place of Barry Odom, who becomes head coach at uh, UNLV. That's the guy that Singletary's going to get a chance to work with here, at least at as his defensive coordinator and I do believe there's a chance that Williams could provide a defensive upgrade I just think that uh, Barry Odom at Arkansas was playing a little bit too soft of a style I just think they were and some of that was kind of dependent on the the talent Arkansas had in the program at the time but I think that Arkansas needs a little bit more aggressive defense and maybe Travis Williams has a chance to provide that and certainly adding a big time talent at least by the base of the recruiting ranking like Singletary probably a good thing for Arkansas here so Singletary's not at Georgia you knew you'd lose some transfers at a place like Georgia if you lose any transfers they're likely to be uh former elite recruits because that's really all Georgia has Singletary is one of those guys uh took him a while to kind of sort of figure out where his home was going to be but now it is official he is going to Arkansas and new defensive coordinator Travis Williams gets a chance to work with him there uh the other day we saw the quote from Nick Saban about the permanent opponents uh from sports illustrated this i guess a part of a wider ranging conversation where where nick saban kind of talks about a lot of different things you know he you know sort of on the idea of shortening the game something that people seem to be pretty serious about right now key ncaa decision makers he's had some things to say about that uh he had some things to say about nil i'll read this quote to you uh the question from sports illustrated was nil scenes evolving quickly collectors popping up everywhere distributing millions to athletes what are your thoughts on the situation saban says the issue is when you create those collectives for people are you establishing pay uh pay for play type environment that can be used in recruiting uh so now all of a sudden guys are not going to school where they can create the most value for their future guys are going to school where they can make the most money he says i don't think that's the best thing uh even the best thing for the player he says you went to college i went to college why were you going we had goals and aspirations for how we wanted to create value for our future saban says he goes on to say some other things i realize in some respects that kind of thing for saban's going to get painted in a bad light and one of the frustrating things about when it comes to nick saban nil he just sort of seems to say whatever fits the room he's in in the moment. Like, he doesn't seem to have a lot of consistency with thought when it comes to his NIL. You know, one day he's paying Bryce Young allegedly a million dollars. The next day he's not paying anybody anything. And he just sort of seems to change with the, whatever mood he's in at the given moment. A little bit more consistency from such an important figure would probably be, uh, be valuable for college football. But I do think that Saban is touching on something 
that's probably more important than it'll be treated as. And some people will kind of roll their eyes at this, but I don't think that Saban's necessarily wrong when he says, if you make a short-term money decision with your college future, you are probably making a mistake. Because even if it's like, I mean, a very big payment in the NIL world we live in now, because 90% of the stuff that you've heard, rumors, reports, things like that, are just totally bogus. So let's say it's like $500,000. That's a lot of money to me, probably to you. Some of y'all are rich. You know, that may not sound like as much money to you, but even if you're rich, $500,000 is still kind of a lot of money. But guess what? I don't care what your situation is. $500,000 is still not going to last you your entire lifetime when you're 20, you know, 18 years old. So you got to be really careful on an enormous sum of money at 18 in comparison to the kind of development as a player that can set yourself up for lifetime income. And, you know, let's say it's school A, school B. School A's off me 500 grand, but school B has a better track record of turning its players into millionaires. I think that's more valuable than the NIL short-term thing. I, I think it is. And a wise-thinking person, I think, would come to the same conclusion. So, you know, Nick Saban sort of sounds like the old man on the porch here a little bit, complaining about NIL. But in this particular situation, I, I do think his word should be taken somewhat seriously. And, and then finally, there's this. You know, it has been a tumultuous offseason for Florida. And I think quite possibly another example of this. Florida fans not happy today. I believe they have a right to be. You may remember Jamar Chaney. At one point in time, Jamar Chaney was on Georgia's <laughs> recruiting radar. Um, ended up Mississippi State. He's also been working as a quality control analyst at Florida. And if you follow like the recruiting, like like the deep soap opera on recruiting, uh, I think a lot of you would probably know that Chaney has been credited with some pretty big recruiting wins for Florida. That some of the the small number of relationships they have had with the elite recruits the cheney's been kind of a factor in a lot of those uh, he's been in kind of that analyst role but now he's leaving florida allegedly reportedly to go become an on-field coach at western kentucky so a lot of florida fans do not view this as a positive because of the fact that even though he wasn't an on-field coach he'd been having success in the florida recruiting ranks and now he's going to a, to western kentucky to kind of begin his on-field coaching career. And a lot of Florida fans are thinking, well, if that's what he's going to do, then why don't you give him a job here? In some respects, this reminds you a little bit of some of the hullabaloo that existed a couple of years ago around Nick Williams when Williams was working in an analyst uh, for Georgia and ended up leaving to go to Texas A&M. But the difference is is that Nick Williams would have maybe been a defensive line coach. Georgia's defensive line coach at the time was Trey Scott, one of the absolute best in the entire country. Of course, uh, Trey remains here uh, to this day. So in, in, in Georgia's case, you had a guy like Nick Williams, who seemingly was a valuable uh, analyst and a, a, a pretty important part of your recruiting apparatus, but there was nowhere to put him on the on-field coaching staff because all you had were uh, elite-type guys in your coaching ranks, just nowhere to put him. In the case of Florida, that is not thought to be the situation here where – it's not like Jamar Chaney, you know, can't get the spot there on the uh, on the Florida roster because of all the great coaches they have ahead of him. The truth is, they don't seem to have a very distinguished coaching staff right now. A lot of those guys have also left over the course of this year. In fact, Florida just had to promote one of its quality control analysts to tight ends coach. A lot of Florida fans saying, we're going to do that for this, you know, guy who's relative nobody. Uh, how come you can't do that for Jamar Chaney, who a lot of Gators fans have grown to like? So the point of all of this is, the moral of the story is, more more turmoil down at florida uh an off season of transition and not seemingly change for the better for a first year coach and billy napier that had really nothing to show for his first 12 months on the job moving into a kind of a pressure-packed second year where a lot of programs do take that next step 
But Florida right now can't seem to figure out what its staff is going to look like uh, for next year, and that does not bode well for its on-field performance either. And happily, we'll make that cruise and run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I say happily because anytime you can close with a little bit of bad news for Florida, for Gator haters around here, that is never a bad thing. Let me tell you something else that's not a bad thing. That is the finished long drink. Because as you head towards the weekend, of course, on Fridays in our show, we kind of showcase the finished long drink as a part of our big finish, the big finish to the week, courtesy of the finished long drink. We want you to be a part of that. So if you're enjoying some finished long drink, it's been great weather lately. So I know a lot of y'all are out there on the golf course or hanging around the pool or you know things like that. In fact, I've even seen some pool stuff going on here uh, as of late. Weather been warm enough to be able to do that. Finished long drink, of course, accompanies all of that very, very well. So as you're enjoying that, let us know. Share it with us. Get us up online, thelongdrink.com. That's... <laughs> Actually, that's the long drinks website. I won't if you hit them up, I won't say that. But you can hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or something like that. Showcase yourself, enjoying some finished long drink, and then we'll showcase you as part of our big finish coming up on Friday. If you're hearing all of this and you're like, well, BA, I hear you talk, but the finished long drink, I still don't know what it is. Well, go ahead and try some today. You can get that eight can variety pack and try two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties, or you can go online, thelongdrink.com, and sort of try to decide which variety seems good for you. Long drink cranberry, long drink traditional, it's the blue can, got the citrus flavor, the gin kick, long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Whichever long drink variety you think you might like, there is an option out there for you. And if you go to thelongdrink.com, you can figure out where you can try some today. And to wrap things up, how about a golden shoe? We talked a lot about quarterback yesterday and the mystery that might surround whether or not Carson Beck really does ascend to the starting role as you might expect him to after being the number two quarterback a year ago or if we hear from one of the other potential contenders for this job a guy like a Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton well one of our uh, viewers Ryan Walker uh, has weighed in on the side of Carson Beck and all of this Ryan writing in it's time for the Duval County Bandit which is actually a great nickname the Duval County Bandit to take the dogs and college football by storm in Beck we trust he says and then he has his graphic there. In Beck, we trust. Natty, your bust. Three Pete on deck. So strong stuff from Ryan Walker uh, casting his lot in support of Carson Beck. And we'll give him a golden shoe for doing that. We'll also remind you, lousy, stinking Gators. Coaching staff, a total mess. Recruiting effort in shambles. And 234 days right now from right now, they get beaten up by Georgia again. That is our Gatorator countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Take your comments via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Of course, comment section at DogNation.com. A lot of folks weighing in in the comment section, DogNation.com, on the subject of yesterday's show that talked a little bit about Gunnar Stockton. Smarts the man writes in to say that Stockton should be taken seriously in this quarterback competition. I agree. Uh, I don't know who's going to win it, but... I believe there are a lot of people maybe far removed from the Georgia program, you know, just more kind of viewing this from the national perspective. They don't quite realize this is a three-man race and not just a two-man race, or certainly not even a situation where a guy like Carson Beck, who may very well win it, may very well go on to be a great player, uh, is certainly not by any means the obvious heir apparent without having to emerge from a competition before you get there. Columbus Dog also writes in to say that everyone that has played with or against Stockton, I believe their money is on Stockton. You have certainly heard a lot of buzz around Gunner over the course of the last year. I think some of that might be related to you know, being the the uh, being the scout team quarterback. You know, kind of getting that extra look that maybe a guy like Brock Vandergriff didn't quite get uh, this past year. That might have some to do with that. Uh, 
you know, SC Dog also kind of writes in to say that he thinks that Stockton has natural leadership skills. And that may be true, too. But as someone who genuinely believes that Gunner could win the job, I'll also say this is that those leadership skills that SC Dog thinks he's seen in Gunner or certainly heard other people say they've seen in him. Those may be real, but they will be tested when you have to emerge as the starting quarterback, because ultimately you can't be a leader in football, really, unless you're proving on the field or maybe you have proved on the field. You know, Nolan Smith wasn't playing for Georgia at the end of the season, but he clearly proved a lot uh, at Georgia during his time with the program. And so that gave him a mantle of leadership to stand on that, that eventually the kind of intangible qualities a lot of folks seem like they see in Gunner, and I guess I feel like I see them too, those intangible qualities will be tested a little bit more when he is also asked to put the level of play along with that that matches it. So I think it's going to be a fascinating competition. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and it gets going next week for us all to kind of see some version of it. On G-Day, we'll definitely see it, and we'll see who eventually emerges as the Bulldogs quarterback here for the 2023 season. That is our podcast cool down presented by rs andrews the weather's been warm as of late remind you it's going to be even hotter here coming up very soon all the more reason for you to go ahead and get that air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs it only costs you 99 from our friends at rs andrews they'll keep you nice and comfortable and cool all spring and summer long so find them online at rsandrews.com for a lot more on that have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we'll look forward to talking to you then